This podcast is intended for an adult audience. Please be aware that some of the content discussed may be triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Reach Out, the podcast, where we are dedicated to ending sexual violence through advocacy, counseling, education, and more. This is the official podcast of Reach Counseling, located in Northeast Wisconsin. You will learn more about the services we provide and hear from members of our team, sexual assault survivors, and the people who support them. We are so glad you're joining us today and would love to connect with you further. You can find out more about us by going to reachcounseling.com. The interview portion of this episode was recorded in May of 2023. Please keep this in mind when dates and timelines are referenced. Today is Tuesday, November 28th, which is also known as Giving Tuesday 2023. Would you consider a donation to Reach Counseling to help us in our work? We envision a socially just community that prioritizes and empowers healing for all impacted by sexual violence. You can show your support today by going to reachcounseling.com backslash donations. Thank you so much to anyone who contributes on this special day. This week's episode features an interview with Tim Smith, clinical therapist at Reach Counseling. Tim talks about his educational journey to become a licensed clinical social worker. He also shares about his therapy work with individuals in the sex offender treatment program. Here is episode four. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm curious, what is your journey with Reach? How long have you been with Reach? What do you spend the bulk of your time here doing? Can you talk about that? Yeah. I started out here actually as an intern in 2018. I was doing my social work practicum and wanted to, I specialized in mental health clinical counseling at, or therapy at uh, UW Oshkosh Social Work Program for the Masters. And I have always worked with some kind of population that has been in trouble, specifically, you know, the legal system. My bachelor's was in criminal justice and that's the route that I thought I wanted to go. (laughs) Got out with my bachelor's degree, worked at the sheriff's department for six months. Found out it was not for me. So I went back to school, got my master's in social work. Long story short, uh, I was approached for my practicum by, I think it was Mary Whedon, one of my professors, and she was telling me about the internship at REACH going into Oshkosh Correctional and doing sex offender treatment. Okay. Yeah, I was like, that's... Sounds super interesting. Yeah, I would I would love like going, to do actually that. Actually going in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I got the counseling aspect, but... Uh, that correctional background too, you know, getting to go into the prison, I was like, this is, this is pretty cool, you know, getting to, getting to go in and actually seeing the inner workings of the correctional system, but also getting to go in and actually helping clients, um, people that are going to be getting out of prison soon and just making sure that they have the treatment they need to succeed. Yeah. And yeah, I started with doing the internship and it turned into a full-time job when I, or a full-time career when I graduated, which was amazing. Yeah, that's not always the case for people. So it's not. The, the star is definitely aligned for that. Um, very lucky. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm curious, because I didn't know that you were actually going into the prison mm-hmm. initially. That must have given you a really unique perspective into what your clientele were dealing with or mm-hmm. were coming from. Can you talk, speak to that? Or Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. I have some previous experience um, when I was in grad school working with clients who were on sex offender status. And um, so I kind of knew the community correction side with probation and parole and how all of that works. But actually going into the prison and working with um, prisoners, and they were our clients at that time, that were going to be coming out of prison, some of them within, I think, three months of us finishing that treatment group up. It just really... I was really able to see how far along some of the guys were versus some of the other guys. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say 85% of the people in the group were very open about their offenses and what they did. Mm. All of them were hands-on offenses. You know, it's interesting to me because everybody that was in that group, the, their victim was somebody that was close to them. Right. Which you, I, I heard that in school all the time. You know, you don't have to necessarily worry about some stranger doing something to you or your children. It's people that you know. And when you say in school, you're talking about like in your program. In my in program, college, yes. Not correct. like when you were younger. No. Well, when we were younger, people are like, oh, don't don't take candy from the man in exactly. the van or the stranger that mm-hmm. approaches you in the park. But, yeah. but really, as studies have found, that's not mm-hmm. often the perpetrator. I mean, it can be, but mm-hmm. that's not often... Yeah, I mean, it, you're absolutely right. It can happen. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it's it's people that are close to the family. So family, friends, uncles, fathers, brothers, uh, you know, it's it's grandfathers. It's, it's scary uh, mm-hmm. to think, you know, people that you love and trust, you leave, you know, your children with them and, yeah. you know, something like that could happen. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the original question, the dynamics are just different because the, the people that are in those groups, you, you could really see how far along some of them were versus others. And it was interesting to see those who took accountability for their for their crimes and the offenses versus those who didn't. Mm. And those who you saw were not ready. And those are the people that I would say are more high risk when they come out. Right. Because um, they're not accepting the responsibility. Correct. You know, the, the big thing that I that I really hate in society is the stigma that people who commit sex offenses have that, you know, they're all pedophiles and, you know, they're never going to get better. Treatment doesn't work. They should just be locked up and the key thrown away. And that's not true. Um, and, and honestly, these are the this is the population of people that need treatment to make sure that they don't do this again in the future. Right. In my work, I would say 95% of the people that I work with that have committed sex offenses were victims of sexual abuse themselves. Wow, that's a very high number. Yeah, and it's we're starting to do more work now with juveniles who are sexually acting out to prevent them from eventually, you know, offending as an adult. But yeah, there, there's so much trauma wrapped up in the majority of society really doesn't understand that there's more complex issues that go into this and it's not as simple as we should just lock these people away and you know they never see the light of day again right um so you work with families too right with the juvenile you know offenders or um that are acting out like you were saying Mm -hmm. what's kind of a common theme that comes up with the family members or that are as they're processing what their child or or family member has has done or what they're worried about they're going to do once they're an adult and then Mm -hmm. have to you know go through the justice system for what's kind of something that comes up a lot so i see two things mainly um so we have you know this is a, a kind of a lingo within the uh tfcbt the trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy that we 
do with children, mm-hmm. but the idea of a green light versus a red light parent. So obviously green light means they're very supportive and proactive and trying to help their child out and being really just a supportive individual for their child to where we also have red light parents too that seem kind of distant, that seem that specifically with these situations with kids sexually acting out, they they bring them here and it's like, oh, well, it's just kids being kids, boys being boys. You know, it's really not that big of a deal. I don't believe that what was said actually happened. So there's a lot of enabling, a lot of justifying, minimizing. But then you get those parents that come in and they're like, yeah, my my child really made a a really horrible choice. And yeah, we, we just want them to get the help to you know, keep themselves out of prison and ultimately hurting someone else in the future wow, and healing yeah. from their own pain. Yeah, yeah, so. that's really good that you have those green light parents. Mm-hmm. How do you help the red light parents? Ah, uh, well, that's a... Um, <laughs> that's a loaded question, I know. <laughs> that is a very loaded question. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times what I have seen anyway is... and uh, Maybe this is just the... the because I, I do work with juveniles, but I don't have a huge caseload of them. Mm-hmm. But what I have seen on my caseload is a lot of times they, you, you can't really do a whole lot. They're very set. They're, they're very set in their, very ways. Sad in their ways. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe that's just because of the short uh, or the small sample that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like if, if, if they're really believing that their child was set up or it's not totally what... The, the victim said happened. Yeah, it really seems like the parents get stuck in that. Mm. And rightfully so. They don't want to believe that their child did anything wrong like that. Yeah, um, nobody wants to think that of their child. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, it. I think parents really need to be open-minded about that and really try to help their child out because if, you know, that really did happen, which is why they're here, chances are if they don't get the help for it, you know, that could that their cor- the correlation is there that their chances of offending as an adult yeah. does increase. Or maybe even just discovering that their child had something happen to them and they Correct. just haven't disclosed that or didn't even realize maybe they, in that trauma brain, kind of suppressed that memory or something, you know? Correct. That's, I would imagine that would be some things that come out of it too, so, or could come out of it. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So as a parent yourself, Mm-hmm. And I'm a parent too. Yep. What are things that we can do to protect our kids or to empower our kids so that they're not hopefully going to become a victim of grooming? Like how sure. can, like what's age appropriate steps that can be taken to, to help our kids mm-hmm. and protect our kids? Yeah, I mean one thing that I really teach my child, I have a she'll she'll be six in July, so um, so by the time this is actually out um she'll be six um but one thing that we my my wife is a teacher so we we're really good with how we talk with our child and explain to them or to her how you have to be careful when it comes to being around other people and especially adults that seem trusting Mm -hmm. 90 percent of the time almost 100 well 99 percent of the time i would say yeah i mean that's a it's you know safe to be around adults yeah um however we we also know that the, you know, that the trauma there, kind of like I was talking before, that's likely where a child is going to become sexually abused. Uh, so one thing that we have taught our daughter is that we don't keep secrets. 
Very good. So yeah. um, the only time you can we, we tell her she can keep a secret when it comes to adults is if somebody tells her like about a party or something surprise like that, party. a surprise yeah, party, yeah. <laughs> or something that is very, you know, it, it's very blatant that it's not something that's uncomfortable. Um, I guess for lack of a better word, but anything to where uh, an adult's like, well, let's keep this between us or... Um, big red flag there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, big red flag. So it's just we don't keep secrets. Right. Another thing that we have taught her, and I encourage all parents out there, penis and vagina are not bad words. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, and I grew up in a family to where those were bad words. You didn't say those words. Right, right. For whatever reason. Yeah. But they're okay words to use, and it's good for them to have that, have the words to use for body autonomy to express if something has happened you know so and so touched me on my vagina so and so touched me on my butt so and so touched my penis you know so there isn't any confusion of you know if you use a word like cookie for a vagina you know oh so and so touched my cookie oh okay well (laughs) yeah Yeah. we'll tell them to stop you know we'll get another cookie you know so and that that can cause problems because a child is trying to express that right and Adults don't understand what exactly they're talking about. And I've heard about that mm-hmm. before where, like, uh, even from other parents in forums that I belong to and stuff, where they're like, I had no idea, and my poor child was trying to tell me that they were being abused, and I thought they were talking about a cookie, like, literally exactly. a cookie at the class party, or, well, you know, and so, yeah, that's yeah. that's a good way to equip using the mm-hmm. anatomically correct terms and correct. things. Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit more about your background and why you wanted to get into this line of work so mental health has always been something important to me i you know i i I will just say i'm not going to go into everything but i had a i had some pretty significant mental health issues as a child and Mm. counseling was really what got me through some of the hard issues that i struggled with when i was a kid and a teenager it's always been something that's been pretty near and dear to me even when i was an undergrad going with my going for the criminal justice degree there was a time where i thought about therapy my best friend and i were actually going to go to whitewater together we both got into the counseling program there okay long story short i decided not to go at that time to take the job at the sheriff's department i think i I truly do believe that there's a purpose for everything that you go through in life and there was a purpose for that for me Um, but I'm happy where I'm at and I'm happy that I made that decision to go back to school. And personally, nothing against counselors, LPCs, but I'm happy that I went the social work route. Yeah. Just because of the social, more of the social justice aspect. Mm -hmm. Really, there's nothing wrong with either degree. Yeah. Counselors are, uh, kick butt people and, um, social workers are just as much kick butt (laughs) as well. So. In different, in different ways. In different different ways. Correct. Yeah, what you bring to the table is just a unique uh, perception on different things. So Mm -hmm. in your training as a social worker, what did that entail? Like, were you focused mainly on criminal justice type things? Or was it studying about, like, possibly being a county worker for Mm -hmm. human service or child and human family services? What did that training look like as a social worker? Well, um, when I started my master's program... There were classes. I actually had to take a few classes before I could apply to my master's program because with my bachelor's degree, I didn't do social work initially. And there were classes like I had to take economics, which 
I hate it with a passion. <laughs> um, an anthropology class, which was awesome, but and then another couple sociology classes because my class is mainly focused on the psychological aspect and psychology as right. well as the criminal justice program. There were some remedial classes. It was called the foundation program. So it took me an extra year and anybody else that went into that program, it took them an extra year to graduate. And during that time, you took classes that were technically undergraduate classes taught at a graduate level. So those, and the reason I'm going back into that is those classes were initially a lot of social welfare policy, um, human behavior in the social environment, just different different classes that focus more with social work, not really counseling. About a year into my program, that's where we had to decide mental health uh, counseling or if you wanted to go the physical health and the, mm-hmm. you know, the hospital social worker and, and that type of, uh, that type of path. Not what I wanted to do. I give, uh, people that work in the hospital a lot of credit. I really wanted to do the mental health therapy. And then when I got, when I declared that specialty, that's when a lot of the classes really focused on different type of interventions for therapy, for counseling, right. teaching me how to identify stuff and probe those questions and ask them, you know, and, and really try to get down to the root problem of what my client was was facing. Right, right. What do you like particularly about working at REACH? One word, culture. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I, I've, this is the longest I've been at a, I don't want to say job because this is my career now. This is the longest that I've been at a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have any desire or intentions on leaving Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's it's good to know. I mean, I genuinely care and enjoy everybody that I work with, and I like everybody that I work with, which is unfortunate when it came to other jobs, especially before I got my degree. There were always people that you butted heads with, right. or I don't know, for one reason or another, you just didn't get along with. And I'm happy to be in a place to where me and my coworkers have similar outlooks on society on life on therapy on being a human being yeah and that's not to say that you know people don't have various opinions or Mm -hmm. the occasional disagreement or whatever but absolutely the way that you go about working through that is is not toxic it's positive and it's productive yeah yeah that's a a good word there were a lot of places that i i felt were were toxic Mm. which is crazy because it's like you're supposed to be helping people to get out mm-hmm. of toxic thinking and situations and all this, but then you're in a workplace that's toxic, right? So, like, it's an oxymoron? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, not to, definitely not to get into the job that I had before here, but really I was staying at that job just because it it really helped with my, my school schedule. Um, right. There were times that just with a toxic environment I wanted to get out of there, but glad I stuck it out. It made me more appreciative of what I have now. Mm. Um, yeah. And I got through it. That's great. What advice would you give to someone who maybe is just not ready to disclose abuse that they've mm-hmm. gone through? What steps can they take to get to a place where they're talking to someone like you mm-hmm. or one of the other therapists here or one of the advocates here? What advice would you give to them? Obviously, you, you need to feel ready to talk about the traumas that you've experienced. But what I always, the the analogy that I always give people is kind of like having the stomach flu. Mm -hmm. So I get clients that come in and they're like, you know, I I wanna talk about this, this, and this, but this I'm okay talking about, but when it comes to 
this issue of sexual abuse or someone passing away, you know, that grief that also gets wrapped up in the PTSD, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to touch that yet. Right. And then I've had clients that get stuck and they, you know, I've worked with them for a year and they're still not wanting to touch that. And I give that analogy kind of like the stomach flu of, I, I don't know about you, Jessica, but I, I, I hate throwing up um, <laughs> yeah. and I'll do just about yeah. everything in my power to not throw up. Yeah. But when we do, we feel better. Exactly. And it's kind of, you know, think of the trauma as needing to throw up and you're able to throw up and get that out. And it's like the negative energy that is leaving you, right. which helps you to feel better. But it, it takes a while to go through that. Right. Um, it's not fun. I'm no. not going to lie to you. It's not fun. It's, it's scary. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. But that's how we heal. Yeah. yeah. We, have to, we have to get rid of that pain in order to reabsorb positive energy to continue yeah. with life. Yeah. As you're helping so many people every day process trauma, how do you avoid burnout? How do you take care of yourself? Well, I am a very spiritual person. It's very my spirituality, my relationship with with who I say is my God. It's very important to me, and that's how I get through the day. Mm-hmm. I really focus on meditation before I come into work, even sometimes during the day, just to make sure I'm present with people and just making sure that I'm mindful to not absorb the negative energies that sometimes come out of clients when they're talking to me with their with the trauma processing I have taken it home before it can be easy to do that but we have to remember as therapists that it's not not to this might sound a little a little harsh but it's not our our trauma Right. Um, so if you want to be a therapist, you have to just remember that you cannot take on your client's traumas. Right. Because as crazy as that might sound, that vicarious trauma, that secondary trauma, it, it's real. I can tell you that for a fact because I've been there. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really just a matter of taking care of yourself and making sure that uh, you have compassion for people and you're not taking that on. Yeah. Do you ever have people, like, when you get asked what you do for a living or, you know, that, that, that conversation comes yeah. up when you meet new people, right? Do you ever get responses that are less than kind when you tell people what you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, uh, most of them get the trauma therapy because uh, uh-huh. half my client caseload are, you know, survivors of trauma. Mm-hmm. The other half are people who are classified as sex offenders. Um, I hate using that term, oh, that person's a sex offender. I, that that's not who that that's not what they what makes them up right you know to me they're they're a human being first that you know right. can, uh, made a horrible horrible decision um, and a choice to offend but you know there, there's more to them so when people maybe react strongly mm-hmm. here or in a kind of just a really negative opinion mm-hmm. of sex offenders or you know how do you handle that <sighs> I do you use it as an educational opportunity does it get you riled up how do you handle it sometimes mm-hmm. I I have to really be mindful of how I convey things versus mm-hmm. arguing with people right you know it took me a while to realize that. Arguing with most people, it's it's counterproductive. It's not going to change anything. There, they are. Most people are, when it comes to their opinions, they're not very open-minded about other ideas. Right. Um, and that's just being a human being. I mean, I'm like that too with yeah. with things. But yeah, I mean, if if there seems to be a, you know, some curiosity behind it, yeah, I'll I'll try to give some give people some education on the the topic. But other times, it's more of you know, oh well. 
I can't believe you do that work. That's, you know, those people, you know, when I put that in quotations, they should just be in prison and locked up forever. And they're sick individuals. And, you know, my comment a lot of times to people uh, that say those things, but they're very stuck in their ways, I'll say, well, you know, everybody needs treatment. And personally, they can't, you know, whether you think they should be in prison forever or not, they're not going to be most of them. And, you know, my job is to help ensure that they don't go back to making those horrible choices. Your work is needed, like, and I'm thankful that you do it. Yeah, well, so, thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I'll say, too, is that a lot of people think that when people who are sex offenders get out of prison that, you know, they are at high, high risk of reoffending, and, you know, they, they need to be housed separately, and people need to worry about their children and worry about the, the people that committed those offenses. Well... I don't think a lot of people know that when people who are sex offenders are about to be released from prison, uh, they get evaluated, okay. um, you know, be it by a psychologist or a social worker, and they get evaluated with, with their level of risk. And if they are at high risk, they don't get released. They get a civil commitment to, um, in this state, it would be Sandridge. So they would go to Sandridge, which is a treatment facility for people who have sex offenses, I didn't know this. Yeah, and they're okay. they're deemed uh, a danger still to society, mm-hmm. and they will stay in Sandridge and receive extensive treatment until a psychologist or a psychiatrist there determines, hey, this person is now safe to reintegrate into society. Gotcha. Um, okay. So it's not just like, okay, well, you're done. Bye. Correct. Like, they're making correct. sure yes. that this person, or doing everything they can to make sure that mm-hmm. this person. And do you feel like that is a pretty good filter? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to say, you know, personally, and I, I talk with my coworkers about this, I, I would rather, I think, live next to somebody who's committed a sex offense versus someone who was trafficking drugs or dealing drugs just because uh, the police in, in the community are really watching people who have sex offenses to where someone who was a violent drug offender they get out of prison, yeah, they're on probation, but they're not being supervised like people who've right. committed sex offenses. Because I see even in, like, neighborhood groups on Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. like, they'll post, like, oh, just so you know, yep. somebody on the registry moved in mm-hmm. this address or whatever. So I guess that makes sense what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> like, yeah, you need to be worried about monitored. them. Not really. Yeah, yeah. No, not really. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Get it. Mm-hmm. wow. Well, I have another question. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Sure. But I am curious. When you first started working with sex offenders, and I know you hate that term, That's but, okay. you know, like, just for people you know. to mm-hmm. know Absolutely. or reference, did you struggle with finding the humanity? You know, as a dad, mm-hmm. do you ever think, oh, if this had happened to my yeah. child, or like, do you ever, did you struggle at mm-hmm. first? I still do at times. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm human, and, um, you know, quite a few of the clients that I work with now are here for child pornography charges, which... Right. If you ever want to do another podcast, I can definitely go into hands-on offenses versus hands-off. I was going to ask you yeah. about that because I, I remember you mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Can you really quickly define that? Yeah, hands-off um, child porn. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's that's the big thing right now. Hands-on offenses are obviously when you know uh, someone has actually molested a child. It can even be an adult sexual assault, assault. rape. But yeah, it's... Sorry, can you go back to the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, got myself um, was it difficult for you when oh, you first yeah. started? Or, and you said mm-hmm. even now sometimes, because mm-hmm. you're human. Yeah. Um, how do you find the humanity and the empathy mm-hmm. for the people that you counsel, even when 
it's sure. difficult for you to understand why they do what they do. So I'm not going to lie. If something happened to my child, yeah, I'd be livid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, I would have some very strong opinions about the person who did that to my child. And yeah, I would probably, you know, gut reaction would want something, you know, pretty drastic to happen to that person. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, and I think what, what makes it the hardest for me, there, there's not a whole lot that really bothers me when it comes to hearing about some of these stories. But I think what bothers me the most is when we get our uh, referrals for our federal clients, and most of them are here just for child porn only. Okay. Um, some of those referral packets will actually describe what were in those videos. Oh, um, yeah. And that is probably one of the hardest aspects of my job because I need to go through that to kind of determine what that person did. And some of those, some of those uh, graphic descriptions, let's just say those, those stick with you. I would imagine so. I, 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 and I also cannot imagine being the one that has to uh, field those descriptions. So thank you for yeah. being the one to do that. Well, I mean, can you imagine being the FBI agent that has to actually watch those and like catalog them? And I, I can't. That's Mm-mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I hate to end things on that. No, note. it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a reality of what mm-hmm. you do in your line of work, and I'm appreciative that you're sharing about it today. Thank yeah, you thank for you. everything that you shared today, mm-hmm. and um, we'll talk more in the future, I'm sure. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. You are not alone. Reach Counseling is here to help, and we're expanding our reach. Since 1976, we have offered our services throughout Winnebago County. We are pleased to now offer our services in Outagamie and Calumet counties as well. REACH Counseling is a sexual assault service provider for children and adults that offers culturally responsive outreach, prevention education, victim advocacy, trauma counseling, and sex offender treatment. As an anti-violence agency, we strive to heal lives and transform communities. Call our 24-7 helpline anytime at 920-722-8150. For more information, visit us at reachcounseling.com.